Welcome to Season 2 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed Inspiration to Publication, Episode 44, the Season 2 finale. Today, my friend Natasha Iris will be taking over as host to help me recap this season. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know you, Nat, which is what I call you. Also, for the rest of this episode, do you want to be called Nat or Natasha? Let's go with Matt. All right, sweet. Uh, mind telling the audience who you are and what got you into gaming? Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for having me on your show. I am honored to be here to uh, host the show with you. Um, my name is Natasha, and I am really just a tabletop game enthusiast and uh, an appreciator of this industry that you work in. Um, I got into tabletop games like in the early 2010s, um, and my gateway game was Munchkin. I still love that it was Munchkin. It's, yeah, it's crazy, but you know, it's, it's a gateway game for a reason. But you know what? This episode isn't about me. I want to turn the spotlight to you because now it's your turn to get interviewed. Okay. But before we do that, I do want to say how we met each other because yes. I think it's cute. <laughs> it's very cute. It is a very, it's like a neat, cute story. <laughs> and I'm going to let you say it. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, we met because I initiated, um, a ladies night at the climbing gym that I work at, which you happen to be a, to be a member at. And I think you had a climbing partner who unfortunately left. So you're like, what am I going to do? Um, and so you learned about uh, Ladies Night and you started coming along. And I remember the first day I met you and I asked you, like, where are you from? What do you do? And you're like, I'm a game designer. I'm like, what is that? And yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing. And just my mind was, was blown because I didn't know that that was a thing, right? Like, I, I play all these games. I just never thought about the stuff that goes on in the back end. Like, people actually think about what goes on in these games and people think about, like, the components and mechanics and all that stuff. And it's awesome. Like, I was enthralled when you told me about what you did. It's so funny. And now, majority of the new games that I buy, Nat is the person who gets to play with me. Yes. Thank God for her. Or yeah. anything I need play tested in person. My friends are godson. So thank I you. Got you. <laughs> All right. Now I will turn it back over to you because you're going to be the host for this episode. Yes. Yeah. Well, now that season two is coming to a close, and by the way, congratulations on finishing your uh, season two. Thank what you. do you think are some of the highlights of the season? Oh, gosh. I mean, honestly, just like last season, there were so many highlights. And I kind of have this running joke that I tend to have at least one guest win some big award. Last time... Um, the award was Stripes. And so this time, Randy Flynn just won the Spiel de Jar for his game Cascadia, which was a flat out game uh, partnered with Alderac Games. And I mean, I am over the moon excited for him. It's his first design. Uh, his second design, Tabriz, is going to be on Game uh, game found this fall. And so the fact that now I've had two guests that when they went on uh, on an episode, they later then ended up getting like a massive award is really great. I mean, a lot of other guests have like some other awards, but I just thought that was really cool that two first time designers with their first games have now won like large awards. Yeah. Would you say they may be lucky to be on your show? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would not. I would say I'm lucky to have them on my show. <laughs> I That's love awesome. That. Yeah, like, I think that's the number one. Would you say that that's the number one, like, board game 
award because I feel like I, I, I hear about uh, Spiel the Jars so often and I see it in games. Oh, yeah, it probably is like one of the top ones you can get on tabletop games. So super proud of Randy, excited to see him and congratulate him in person. So that's really awesome. Uh, beyond that, gosh, uh, Ryan Lockett. I actually met him at Gen Con last year through a friend. I love you, <laughs> a massive fan of you. <laughs> if you're listening yes, to this I episode. Am. Yes, I am. Yeah. Oh my God. Having him on the show was just incredible. Just talking about Sleeping Gods. And it blows my mind away. His ability to not only like design a game, but do all the writing for what is essentially almost like a book. Plus does all the illustrations. And those illustrations are insane. So beautiful. Captivating. Yeah. Just his, his games are are awesome. They're just very, very cool. And and I love listening to the episode. Like, I think that was just fascinating that he came from, like, this RPG background and then he, like, infused that into, like, board games, which is great. Oh my gosh, yeah. And talking about the real world aspects and just how he created, like, an expansion, these this, like, map, like, atlas that you flow off one page and you turn to another page. It's such an interesting concept. I mean, and then to even have, like, a battle mechanic inside that game that was so light that he created another game out of it. Like, like there's just there was a lot to unpack in that episode, and so it, it still sticks in my mind, even though it was like the second episode of the second season. And you know, we're now on episode 44, so we're pretty far away. Wild. Uh, That's yeah. awesome. And then <laughs> doing a shout out to your boyfriend Mason um, in the Emerson Masucci's. Century Spice Roads because our group always calls it drugs and that's because of your boyfriend. <laughs> yep. It's the drugs game. <laughs> it's the drugs game. It's just, oh my god, it's so funny when he ever since like, yeah, you know, it could have had a lot of themes and that is definitely one it could have been. But that one made me laugh when Mason texted me and he's like, I just listened, you actually said that? I was like, dude, I told you I would say it because you call it that and the whole group calls it drugs. <laughs> but, um, Beyond that, like Emerson having this like lightning in a bottle game that is Century Spice Road, just like his initial design barely changing, it hitting the mark. And it's really funny because um, Ryan, who did Pipeline, the two of them are friends. And he told Emerson, he's like, oh no, it's too late. Like, oh, you need to adjust this and this. But like Emerson hit it just like perfectly. Like, we love it. And then he designed two more standalone games that could also be paired and combined with that initial game. And listening to him talk about trying to balance it out and go through like the different iterations and try to choose a different core mechanic for each of those three standalone games, but that also could be combined. Very fascinating. I personally never want to do what he did because it sounded very tiring, but I want his brain. I think that was really cool. Yeah, like what a payoff like to have it. I, I, I think what you said is the fact that it's a standalone game that works with another game so you can play it together or apart. That's so cool. Yeah, it is very interesting. And I need to play the third one. I played the first two. So, you know, I'll get, I'll get to all of them eventually and see how they all intermingle. But talking to him was really cool. Um, let's see. What are some other highlights? Well, John Bobro. Uh, the Blink system was really cool. Seeing this like interesting combination of toys meets games meets mm -hmm. video games. And Matt, you came with me. We went to New York I City. Did. That was such a fun time. Just the different combinations and the different like programming. I feel like the the options were were endless with that. Like there's so much that you could do with these like little what do you call them? 
like blinks, blinks. I guess. Yeah. 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 And so like the blinks are these hex hexagon little uh, tiles, except they're 3D and you click on them and they have different functions. And so each game is designed using like different colors and just like how the magnets click together, how you click things, just create a different game. And so it's really fascinating to see that system and having John talk about it. But then we went to New York City because uh, John's company partnered with Tabletop Gamers, which I'm on the board for to do this like fun inclusion event to uh, play some of his games and also play just some new ones upcoming. And so that was a really fun highlight because I actually got to bleed my podcast into my real life and do like a fun event for charity and all that good stuff. From all these incredible designers that you had on your show, what do you think you learned from them about, you know, how to design games? I feel like the reason I started this podcast was so selfishly I could become a better designer by learning from other people, whether it be a new designer that uh, maybe stumbled along the way or even a very polished designer who's quite popular, but also, you know, had some faults or whatever. I've learned a lot, but uh, I guess like this season, it was kind of cool in the way that we had some episodes that really focused on uh, designing based off of like feeling or based off of a component or uh, some other things. And just like to give a few examples, so Chris Chan's The Night Cage. I found very interesting that him and his co-designers uh, based the game off of a feeling, but the idea, they were trying to capture the feeling of like horror. And that is a very difficult thing to capture, that like almost suspense of like what's going to happen next. And I feel like that game actually did a really good job of it. So when I recorded the episode, I actually hadn't played the game yet. I watched videos, but after the episode, I immediately, I got the game, played it, and it's become my friend Rochelle's like one of her favorite games because I played it with her and it now kind of lives at her house, which Nat and I are friends with her. Yes, so... I'm a little jealous. <laughs> I, would like, I would like to play this game. I've heard a lot about this game. Um, it, it shows up on, like, my YouTube recommendations all the time. Funny. It looks super cool. And I don't think I've really, like, delved into, like, the horror genre of tabletop games, except for, like, it's, it's the game we played, um, Betrayal, which... Is yeah. that even horror? Yeah. Light. Yeah. Because there's definitely some like spooky Halloweenish vibe games, mm. but this is the only game I've played that kind of has a like, oh crap, what's going to happen? Like we've fallen into a hole and we're basically naked, stumbling around this like crazy tunnel esque thing trying to get out. All we have is like what's left of a wick of a candle. Mm. And you know, it's, it's cool. It's really, I mean, it's creepy. The yeah. art totally like brings that feeling in. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting game. more. Like, I definitely <laughs> want to give, give it a play. That sounds very interesting. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, like, that was really cool. And then, so, they do it based off feeling. But then you have, like, Road to Infamy games. Their team went and designed Canvas with the idea of, like, overlaying clear cards. So, they went component first. So, they saw games like Gloom or, um, gosh, I'm trying to think what other games use clear cards. But basically, they were like, you know what? What do we do? if we layer these together and they built this gorgeous game that's actually hanging up in my wall that uses similar mechanics 
to Century Spice Road and the way that you pay for cards farther down the line by dropping tokens. But what you're doing is you're collecting these clear cards that have pieces of imagery similar to Dixit that you're stacking on top of each other to build these like beautiful canvases, like these beautiful paintings that are also going to have titles, which are kind of fun to mash. And then it's very Instagrammable. You take a lot of good pictures. But uh, I thought it was really cool that their design was completely based off of the idea of overlaying clear cards and then kind of found a theme that would fit well and continue to move along with the rest of the components. Like they use actual like canvas material for the game that's rolled out. And then, I mean, you can hang the game like actual box. I was going to say that that like design is awesome. The fact that you can hang it up and it looks legitimately. Yeah, it's like a painting. I've been asked if I painted it. Yeah, I think I think I asked you, or maybe I was there when that was asked. (laughs) Um, It's been asked many times, so you would not be the only person because I am a decent painter. Little feature. Yes. Yeah. So I think like that was really interesting. Like thinking, starting with a component and making all these very thematic choices Mm -hmm. along the way. And then uh, very recently, I talked to Banana Chan um, about her RPG, uh, Zhangxi, Blood in the Banquet Hall. And that one was really cool because her her co-designer really work to include their culture. And I mean, they made some jokes in the way that uh, it feels a little textbooky or something, but they really thought hard and long about how to include their culture in creating this game that's like this family from the past in a Chinatown that's either based in like either the US or in Canada. And, you know, during the day, they're just struggling with all of these issues of the times. And then later on, they're getting attacked by essentially like these vampire-like creatures that suck their chi or their like souls or the hopes and yeah. dreams from them. But making decisions like what dice to use, because RPGs, as you know, mm-hmm. because you're a massive RPG player, they like to use yeah. like, D8s, because, you know, 8 is a lucky number, and like D4s actually like oh. higher numbers. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, they, they took a lot of interesting design choices that they based around their culture, and found it really interesting, these little yeah. tidbits. Like, that episode was kind of one of my favorites to record, honestly, because I felt mm-hmm. like I was almost having a history lesson of, like, oh, I didn't realize. And, like, it's, I feel like, especially, like, in this day and age, it's so important to have representation and what they're doing. It just, I, I, I am all about, like, boosting and, and encouraging and educating people on, like, different cultures and traditions. I think that's incredibly important. Yeah, I know. They were motivated because they were kind of sick of seeing, like, games themed around, like, Asian culture made by, you know, white people. (laughs) So they wanted to make some for themselves and, like, add that representation. And I thought that was amazing. And the fact that they got into some major newspapers, too, really cool. Really, really cool. But yeah, so that was a very interesting one. And if anyone hasn't listened to that episode, I would definitely say check it out. And then play the RPG. <laughs> yes, play the RPG. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Uh, also mistakes. Learning from mistakes or mistakes being a good thing in Glenn Drover's uh, Raccoon Tycoon. They, or he accidentally made the mistake of ordering a first player marker, which was way too big. It's a raccoon if you've ever played and you've seen like the original game. I don't know if it's in the retail version that's going to Target, that it's the size that it was, but he accidentally did it, became everyone's favorite component. So it's just like funny how mistakes can become favorites of the fan that's base. That's funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it, it worked out in the end. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> I mean, it. In these conversations that you have with uh, the designers, is there anything that 
like you wanted to discuss further or something that you wish like came up in the interviews? Yeah. When I was talking to Pops and Bijou's team, so they're a very out queer owned slash run company and they never actually talked about it. And it wasn't until after we stopped recording, I'd asked them that question and they're like, well, we just weren't really sure. And I don't know if it was like a comfort thing where uh, maybe because they didn't know me enough, they didn't know that like at the end of every episode, I always say my like Twitter handle and my Instagram handle, which mm-hmm. is token gamer. It's like G-A-Y. I'm very mm-hmm. openly gay and stuff. And so that was a little bit of a bummer because I, I think it's really cool to like know that there is that representation out yeah. there and that there are like queer owned companies. So that was a little bit, I, I don't want to say disappointing, but I really wish they had put it out there because they are very public about it. Literally when I first met them immediately, we acknowledged the fact that we were all gay and <laughs> made plenty of good jokes. <laughs> Right. Well, now everyone knows <laughs> from this episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's get into kind of the, the nitty gritty of your process. Like, what what do you feel is your personal, like, take-in process for when you design um, a new game? Well, uh, that has been very different depending on the circumstance. Uh, as far as I go through the years, like now, I tend to work either for a company or like a publisher will come to me with an idea of what game they want. So it might be a theme and then like constraints of like, this is the price point we're looking for. This is the age group or whatever. And then I will design within those constraints, which is different from when I first started where I would just um, go out and about and I just come up with a random idea and, you know, I yeah. make it. You weren't in a box. <laughs> Less than in a box. You were confined to, to parameters. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a little bit different. It's kind of like more so, I would say like 75% of my design now is designing in a box, which isn't bad because it becomes like those design competitions that I always tell like earlier designers to check out, like the button shy ones. The constraint is it's an 18 card game and then they will do contests where it's like you have to make an 18 card party game or they have to be identical cards and it's really cool because it really like uh it's like a muscle exercise for your brain of like what can i do in this space that's very specific and so uh having those constraints actually has been good in a lot of ways but i will say i still come up with ideas when i go like on a trip i carry around a notebook and i will jot it down or i'll put it in the notes in my phone if i maybe like see something that inspires me or if i'm playing a game with you nat and i'm like oh my god this mechanic it's really cool. I like will jot it down and use it later on. I can definitely attest to this. This has happened many times. <laughs> yeah, we're literally just like, randomly out and about. You're like, oh, that's an idea. And you like mm-hmm. scribble it down. Yeah. Well, that like, happened so bad when we yeah. were in New York. Inspiration so can come from anywhere. Like, we know this. Oh my God. Yeah. I, yes. Most of my inspiration really does come from just traveling and hanging out with friends or playing other people's games. Or even uh, sometimes when I used to play more prototype games of other designers. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all like a collaboration, right? So we're all kind of like exactly. basically saying like what feels right for us and then we go from there. Yep. And as far as the process goes beyond that, it's just like hunkering down, make that initial prototype because the hardest thing to do is to take an idea and make a prototype and just play test the crap out of it and know that it's not going to be great to begin with. So much play testing. I did not realize how much play testing like how important and like integral uh, playtesting is to, you know, before a game hits the shelf. 
I remember when you guys were like so confused. You're like, you're playing her story 13 times a week? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was wild. But I can't wait for that to come out. I'm super excited for that. I am too. That one's yeah. going to be awesome. Um, how many games have you played from like the, the games that you've talked about on your show? Good question. And I will say around half of them. That's so, bad. Yeah. No, I mean, because I don't want to limit the show... Mm-hmm. I like to talk to a lot of different people in different games. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many games out there. I can't possibly play all of them. I can't afford to buy all of them is the other thing. I also don't have the space in my apartment. Like, it's already leaking into multiple rooms, my collection. It's time for a sale, Danielle. It's time for a sale. No, I know. Okay, so another thing with our friend group is I have all of my games in a sheet. And so Rochelle takes things out like it's a library. So... She actually borrows my games. I don't know why you guys don't borrow my That's games. That's an idea. Just yes. a board game library. Why my apartment? Is that not a thing yet? <laughs> it should be. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, about twelve of the games probably. Okay. But a lot of them I actually have played after recording. So. There you go. Well, yeah. and that's what matters is that, you know, this time you have a little bit more insight into playing the game, which is great. Exactly. Yeah. Um, tell me about your process for learning about the game if you haven't played it. Um, so, like, anyone who hasn't played a game and is searching to figure out if they want to buy it, I watch, like, YouTube videos, like, mm-hmm. how to play videos. I will read the BGG page. And a lot of times, like, uh, these designers I may have, like, known prior. So I'll even ask them of something about the game. But I uh, definitely, I do my research. I like my process as far as just like how I put together an episode is I like jot down a bunch of questions. I have the more standard questions. So for anyone who listens to the show, I always ask like, what was like the good and the bad moment of the whole journey? And like, what is like your advice to give to designers? So it's like mm-hmm. I have standard questions, but then yeah. I have the more specific tailored to that game questions. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because every game is slightly different than the other. So oh, yeah. you, you, you want to get deep into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I know how much of a social butterfly you are, but how do you find your guests? How do you get them to be on your show? Uh, so that's one cool thing about this show going on into a third season is I used to just reach out to initially like friends or acquaintances that I've met at conventions, or I would like talk to someone who'd been on the show and see if they had a recommendation for me of someone else. But now I'm actually getting like emails sent to me. Uh, going, hey, like, I'm this designer, I have this game, it's published, like, I'd be interested in being on your show, and I just, like, I get so excited, uh, like, probably more excited than I should, but I get, like... Yeah, you own that excitement, that's absolutely well-deserved, well-deserved. I always ask them, like, so how'd you hear about it? Because, I mean... My show is a part of the No Direction Network. And so it streams on their website. Also, like, their episodes, it kind of falls in between a bunch of RPG-based stuff. And then it also has a standalone, which I added, like, halfway through the first season because a lot of people wanted to just listen to my podcast and they didn't want to listen to Pathfinder podcasts and stuff. So I made it standalone. So I always kind of ask that question of, like, how'd you find me? Because I get, like, very excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. 
do you have any requirements? Like, what do you feel are, is like the criteria to be on the show? Um, so really, you just need to have a game that has been published. So it needs to have been released where people could play it. Um, and that is because, I mean, like in the title, it's Game Design Box Inspiration to Publication, which I actually, I feel bad. I have had a few emails that are like, oh, we have this really cool game. It's going to Kickstarter. And I know they want to like promote the game. And I'm like, oh, well, do you have any games that are already out? Because if you do, uh, you might notice that people will plug future games on the show. And so I will work with them to talk about the game that they previously made. But unfortunately, if they don't have a game that's been out, I don't have them on the show. And that's just because uh, me as a designer, I have signed games that fall through or I will spend nine months working on a game and it falls through. Um, or you might try to take it to Kickstarter. It doesn't fund. And the idea of this podcast is like, the entire journey of the game, going from like an initial idea that popped in your head to it being played by uh, other people once it's yeah. been published. So that's really the only requirement. I mean, I try to have like good people that are saying good things. Uh, you never know what's behind taking around in someone's head, but that's really the only requirement is just have a published game. That's out. Now, this, game. Yeah. this game can be published by yourself, by your own company. It can be published by a publisher. Yeah, as uh, long as it's out there, you know, that's published. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. How long does it take you to put together an episode? And how do you find time in your busy schedule <laughs> to put together an episode? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm a busy person. You know that. I disappear a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, I would say on average takes about three hours. And the idea is my episodes. I try to make 40 minutes, but as any listener knows, they can go longer. I try to cut off and like make it an hour or less though. But for every hour that I may have recorded, I'm probably doing two hours of editing and stuff. So yeah, get out the um, the awkward silence. Yeah. Tell me like, what was your like inspiration for like this podcast? Well, like I kind of mentioned, it's basically me wanting to grow as a designer, but also me wanting other people that are either designers or just game enthusiasts. Because if you really like a game, you can now know the history and the story behind like what inspired it and why it's the way it is and why a designer made a choice to remove a component or add something or like why they did what they did. And I thought like, I find it interesting. I used to watch like that show unwrapped on food network with my family. And I found it really interesting, like how things are made. Yeah. I, just like, yeah. Like the, the making of something. I love that stuff. Cause you like really get to know like a company, a person like based on the product that they put out. Right. Um, exactly. So it's, it's really good insight on people and companies um, as well. Um, and with the success of your second season, does this mean that you're going into a third? That's the plan. I actually did a call uh, on Board Game Broads because uh, for anyone who listens to the show, I'm sure you've noticed that I actually try to keep it pretty 50-50 as far as like girls and guys on the show, which isn't easy because uh, the gaming industry is not 50-50. It's nowhere close to that. Um, But I try really hard to have representation in the episodes and in the show. And so so uh, I did do a call out to Board Game Broads, which is a Facebook group that I'm an admin for that focuses mostly on like females and uh, non-binary, femme presenting individuals, all that good stuff. And I already had seven people go like, yeah, I want to be on the show. And the great part is some of them were like, my game doesn't come out until next year, but I want to be on the show. And just knowing that we are going to see a lot of new faces and names on these games just got yeah. me excited. And, uh, you know, I do 22 episodes per season. Mm-hmm. And- 
Mm-hmm. You know, behind that is I used to be a huge uh, DVD collector slash like I was television gonna say, show collector. That's like the average <laughs> number of episodes. That's so funny. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Can you give us some sneak peeks to what we can look forward to in the third season? I'm like debating if I should do that or not. Like like I said, people say that they want to do it. Oh, that's fair. Do you have someone lined up already? I mean, all right. So I have, I have, like I said, I have seven names that have said that they want to be on the show. But I will say I am very confident that I will have uh, Creature Comforts. The game mm-hmm. uh, with Roberta Taylor will be mm-hmm. talking. Nice. So I'm going to give you, I'll give you that name and then okay. uh, James Hewitt and possibly co designer Sophie talking about their Hellboy game. Nice. Those are two Ooh, that I'm. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I'm really excited to get James on the show because he and I were paired up earlier before I became full-time in the industry using the tabletop mentorship program, which mm-hmm. for anyone who doesn't know what it is, if you are aspiring to get into any aspect of gaming, whether it be like the media side, like doing the podcast like mine, doing uh, game design, development, illustration, graphic design, publishing, any of it, you sign up for this mentorship program, you get partnered with someone who has experience in that, and then they help you out. And so when I was a mentee, uh, the first person I got was James, and he was my mentor, and he actually wow. helped me out. So I would love to kind of come full yes. circle and have I was him on the show. Say, that would, that would, I think that would be really cool. I think that would be really like precious. Oh, well, you know what? I hope he's on the show, and I bet that that episode is going to be really fun. Yes. Um, let's like shift the, the spotlight a spotlight a little bit um, since the beginning of the second season how do you think it, if it has changed at all like how do you think your personal life has changed um, and your career in this industry well um, you have watched a lot of it I have yes I, I had a front row seats <laughs> yes she did she was there for the ice cream no. <laughs> um, I will say that Anyone who follows me on my social media, there's always this uh, misconception that my life is perfect and great and fabulous at all times, which is not necessarily accurate in the way that I have definitely hit some pretty big bumps in the past season. So like we started recording the second season uh, in, I believe it was September time Mm -hmm. with Kathleen who's one of uh, my good friends in the industry. And at that time, I was working for GPI in manufacturing. And then, you know, I ended up not working for them at the end of the year, which is unfortunate. And and later on, I switched over to Forever Stoke Creative as their design lead, which was really great. I loved working with uh, Matt Fantastic and his team. And for anyone who doesn't know Matt, he is an excellent individual and you should definitely talk to him. Also, what a great name. Just say what a fantastic <laughs> name. No, right? And the best part is like how I got a job with him was because of my friends like Nat showing up into his game store and We're here talking for you. to this dude. You know, like honestly, my friends are the best. <laughs> they showed up in New Haven, Connecticut, yep. talking to this mm-hmm. guy and just like talking game design. They're like, oh, we have a friend that does game design. He's like, oh, really? And then basically uh put there. my name out there. Yeah, yeah. got hired. So you know, thank you to the nosy friends. <laughs> <laughs> to the supportive friends. Supportive. Yes, yes, exactly. And so that was like interesting career change. And then right now, as I'm recording it, uh, this episode, I actually 
switched to another new job. So now I am working for Underdog Games. I am their head of kids game design and development. And what that means for me and my future is I am working on bringing their new line of kids games. And it's really cool. So anyone who doesn't know Underdog Games, they are the ones that created the Trekking the National Park series, Trekking Through History. Um, all those games, they also own the rights to Coconuts, which is a fun little dexterity game that I've been told can also be a good drinking game. Ooh, uh, you know we love a drinking game. Oh, yes. We, you know we love a drinking game here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to be working with them. And how that came about was while I was working with uh, Forever Stoke Creative, I had a text me- or a Facebook message come in through, uh, it was by Charlie Bank, who he's the original designer of the tracking games. And he was the one who, with him and his family, started up the trekking, the National Parks game. And he actually was on an episode in the first season. So I would definitely check that one out if you're interested in it. But basically, he messaged me. He said, hey, we have this really cool game. We're looking for a co-designer that's a female because we want to be, you know, we want to represent because this game is about women in history. And I kind of read the document that they typed up. And I immediately was like, yes, I want to do this. But I was working for a company. I went to my boss, Matt, and I was like, hey, Matt, really cool opportunity. What are your thoughts? Because, you know, when you work for someone, you need to be above the board and always like converse. And he's like, yeah, I think it'd be amazing. Like you representing yourself mm-hmm. represents us as a company. So I was like, okay, great. So I applied and they chose me to be a co-designer. And this game, Her Story, is coming out this year. It'll be my second published game because my other one was No Filter that came out actually also during the second season uh, yeah. around October, November of last year. Mm-hmm. That was really cute getting to know you game. It's in a rainbow box and very fitting of me yeah, as a very person. telling of you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I worked on her story and then they mm-hmm. offered me a full-time job. So now I am full-time with Underdog. I actually still nice. work with Forever Stoke Creative just doing some odds and ends freelance. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Matt and I are on great terms. I love that guy. He's great. <laughs> Highly recommend if you are someone that needs game design help or development or anything, his studio is phenomenal. Yeah. And their store in New Haven, the cutest. So awesome. Just yes. great vibe. Oh, great City vibe. Games. Yeah. Highly yep. recommend checking it out if you're near Yale. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, so definitely one of changes this year, job-wise, yeah. life-wise. Oh, and at Gen Con, my game eBay Buy It Now uh, will release. So I guess that technically will be my second game, not her story. But that was an awesome story. Basically, last year at Gen Con, I was at the airport and I was really hungry, walked around. I found this restaurant that was kind of like a seat yourself, the waiter will come up. Um, and there was a table that one guy was sitting at that was like for four people. And even though it was COVID, he offered me a seat kind of like diagonal from him. I sit down, we start talking. I notice he has an eBay shirt on and I kind of like explain like, oh, I thought it was really cool. You guys are at Gen Con. Like it's interesting because I know like a ton of board games end up on eBay. He was surprised that I like understood why they were there because I guess a ton of customers came up and was like, what are you doing here? And he like had to explain. And I was like, no, no, I totally get it. And then he asked me, did I get one of the exclusive trading cards? And I was like, "Uh, no, sorry. And he's like, oh, so we made like these two trading cards exclusive uh, just for Gen Con that people could pick up. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. But uh, no, I mean, like some people are in a trading card game, but more it's like tabletop board games. That's what uh, people come to Gen Con for. And I was like, have you thought about like making an exclusive game uh, for eBay? 
that would be like at Gen Con. Uh, and then I just kind of pitched myself as a game designer. And at the time I was working at a game manufacturing company that also did like uh, art and everything. And so I kind of like pitched a package deal of like, hey, we'll do the design. We'll do the art. We will produce it. We will get it basically all the way to Gen Con, like do every step of the way. And so I got his information, Stephen's information, and we continued messaging when I got back from the convention. And uh, this year, it's going to debut. And the cool idea, too, on top of it that I pitched was, was like, well, anything that's exclusive tends to end up back on eBay. So even though they'd be giving away this free game in exchange for just like showing that you signed up for eBay or you have an eBay account, the game might still end up back on eBay and generating funds once again. And so I'm really excited to see like how that turns out. In the convention. Um, and I'm so thankful to have had my friends with me along the way. Yeah, just congratulations. I, I think you're doing so awesome and that you, you're just going forward and onward, you know? Yes. I, yeah. Thank you. And <laughs> I will say I did say yes to a few more things as far as like working on extracurriculars because we already know I have this podcast. Yeah. And then I was working for Unpub, like the nonprofit on the board when I started my podcast, but I also this year added on Tabletop Gamers, and I'm excited because they're helping promote LGBT plus community, and so it's been really good to like do graphics and work at conventions uh, with them, so yeah, it's been fun. Also, do you see any pins at their tables in the future? I made them. There's a cute little cat one playing with the D20. There's also a little Corgi, and a Gen Con. It's so cute. I proudly wear my, my pins. Good. Yeah. I mean, speaking of conventions, are the, what, like, which conventions are going to be in the near future? Well, uh, this will be posted after Gen Con, so hopefully I saw you. If I didn't, I'm so sorry. That's right. Um, it's so close. Yes. Wow. It's in August, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so that's, exciting. that's a big one. Um, so yeah, I, when this is posted, we'll have been at Gen Con with Tabletop Gamers, giving <laughs> out those uh, rainbow ribbons and say gamer or ally and the pronoun ribbons. Um, mm-hmm. And then I will also be at PAX Unplugged for sure. There is a mm-hmm. possibility I may be at BGG Con and also mm-hmm. possibly uh, Pop People of Play used to be called Chicago Toy and Game there because I, I'm nice. friends with a lot of people there because I used to volunteer back when I lived in Chicago. So mm-hmm. confirmed, packs unplugged for sure. The other ones are yeah. possibilities. So I'm sure anyone who follows me will find out where I'm going to be. And yeah, hopefully see me yeah. there. I can't wait. Um, are there any kinds of games that you're planning to kind of focus on or work on in the, in the future? Uh, most of my focus is definitely going to be on those kids games that I'll be starting. Kids up. games? Yes, yep. for underdog games. But also, I'm going to continue to work on some of the designs I had. So uh, some of them are being pitched still through Forever So Creative with Matt, as well as I have a few games on my own that I'm going to be pitching, like the game you guys all like, Circles. I will be attempting to pitch. I love Circles. I know. It's such a fun, like, adult, pretty gear like dare game i don't it's it's fun i enjoy it, it it's it is very fun i, I like the the flicking of, of the coin is yep. yeah. the dexterity element <laughs> it is, yeah it's a it's a dare game but also dexterity it's great it's it's what you want like in a nice like party game exactly especially late at yeah. night and you're drinking it just like mm-hmm. checks a lot of boxes and so i'm right. hoping to someday get that signed as, as as well as much of others like i actually have had interest in um my abstract game you've played it uh sedona vortex the one where you're kind yeah. of going through the spiral so i have two mm-hmm. publishers that i've been holding on to that and then they're just waiting to see if the game they're putting out beforehand that's an abstract as well because mm-hmm. as those designers know abstracts are not the easiest kind of game to get pitched and so that was actually a co-design with um, Josh 
who did Slingshot Maneuver, who was also a part of the season. So that'd be a win for both of us because he did help me get it out of kind of a stuck position. Like I had a concept, Mm -hmm. it got stuck. I brought on a co-designer and I've now learned since the last season, I actually really enjoy working with other people and co-designing. I don't like solo designing quite as much because it's nice to get other people's opinions and thoughts. Absolutely. Yeah. Just more perspective. It just allows for a little bit more creativity. Oh yeah. It's always good. For yeah. sure. Yeah. All right. What are, what are some ways that we as listeners and as fans uh, can support your show? Well, definitely continue listening, subscribe. And honestly, no one writes reviews. It's really funny in the way that I would go to conventions. And I'm now getting to the point where people I don't know will say, I love your show. Write a review, comment, right. send me an email. Let me read one real quick right now. <laughs> even my friends, there is zero reviews. So people are like skeptical about the show, but it's like, like I have around, like, I mean, I have a decent amount of downloads yeah. for this show and I've had a lot right. of people tell me they like it. And I'm like, okay, could you review it? Like, give me something. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Like people want to see what other people think of it. Exactly. It's like other people's opinion matters. Yeah, so review I, it I on, totally understand. Yeah, yeah review it on Spotify, review or review it on like Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Definitely do that. And also, um, if you want to be on the show or if you just want to like suggest a question or something that I should be adding or something you think I should tweak, you can mm-hmm. email me uh, on my website, dmrcreativegroup.com. There's like a little fill in form which goes to my email. So just mm-hmm. use that. I will say that you are very re- reachable <laughs> and I, you very promptly reply. I need all to the respond time. less. Honestly, I am too good at responding to my phone. It's very bad. <laughs> it's a little scary sometimes, Danielle. No, I'm no it makes it seem like I'm like texting someone and that yeah, I am way too good. It's, it's one of those like me things that I need to work on. I've just been working no. remote for so long. I respond too quickly. Okay. Also, COVID made my addiction to my phone worse. <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, let's not even talk about that. Exactly. It's, the scrolling is is terrible. She is not wrong though. <laughs> it is very rare that you will not get a response within a day or two from yep. me. Yeah. Within like minutes, honestly. Okay, no, that's, that's if you have my I'm number kidding, and text me. Then I'm yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was worse before I broke my Apple Watch. I would even respond in the shower. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. That is an addiction. Yeah, I know. I'm not saying it wasn't an addiction. It might have been good that I accidentally broke it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Bl- blessing in disguise. Maybe. I still want a new one though. But um, yeah, honestly, like that's a great way to support the podcast. I hope that this recap episode has helped anyone who jumped in later in the season, maybe come up with some ideas of episodes that we're watching in the past. And for anyone who's new to the show, I don't suggest that you like start from the beginning. I just suggest like choose episodes about games that interest you. I try to write little descriptions, um, not as much about how the game gets played, but more about what you can learn as a new designer or someone who's interested, whether it be like it's about designing by culture or the feeling or Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There was the game, the Summit game, which I found really fascinating when I uh, was talking to, oh my gosh, uh, Connor McGooey. Yeah. So when we were talking, it was interesting that his first design was about climbing a summit, but he made one side of the board a co-op and the other side a versus. And they have very different gameplays, but using a lot of the same mm-hmm. components. And like reviewers have polar opposite opinions on it. So that was a very interesting episode to listen to him dropping like uh, Jamie Stagmeyer 
Vampire saying, like, he liked one version Ooh. where, like, uh, Tom from the Dice Tower like the other version of the game. Yeah, yeah. So, like, polarizing um, opinions about the same game. Exactly, wow. different gameplay. So, yeah, I mean, I just, like, I have learned a lot from doing this podcast, and it's honestly what motivates me to, you know, spend my time. Time is very valuable. It's more valuable mm-hmm. than money uh, to me, but I feel like this is a way that I can give back to the people that I care about, like my community. Yeah, absolutely. And what a great reason <laughs> to start off a podcast. It's just to to be more involved and to be uh, more educated, right? 100%. But uh, Nat, I would like to say thank you for like taking on the role that I normally play as host for this episode. <laughs> and maybe I'll use you in the future if you're willing. Maybe. This has been incredibly fun. Thank you for trusting me <laughs> to host. I'm glad to have been here, and I'm I'm so glad that you're my buddy and that we met and that it kind of led us to being here together. Oh, for sure. I'm very excited to see your name in the Her Story Rulebook. So it's like, you'll technically have your name on a game. So. I will! <laughs> <laughs> and I just can't wait to see it in stores. Like, that, what a great moment. What just What a great accomplishment. Honestly, there is, yeah, there's no cooler feeling than seeing someone buy your game or someone post. Like, I was just at my family reunion and my uncle Joe and actually like every relative was like, oh yeah, I own your game. I pull it out at dinner parties, like no filter. And it's it's so funny because I have this feeling of like, no filter is this question asking party game. It's not like the most mm-hmm. intense design. It, I didn't no. play test it 13 times a week like I did first story, <laughs> which is this like engine building uh, game. Yeah. But it's one that causes I think, so many people joy. Yeah, it's just it's just genuinely getting to know someone and just giving them like a, a little bit of like a little bit of like a helping hand is for people who may not know what kind of questions to ask. It's just nice. Yeah. It's just nice sometimes to have like like a conversation starter, you know? It is very nice. It's funny how many yeah. times I have told first dates and they've like come to my apartment and then they see it and they're like, We need to play this and then I <laughs> Very quickly, find out very interesting facts about person or like a person yeah. on a first, second, or third date with. So it's kind of fun, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you everyone in the audience for listening to this uh, second season and the first, hopefully. And if you haven't listened to all the episodes, just like check out the ones that you're interested in. But um, thanks again for joining us for Game Design Unboxed Inspiration Publication Episode Forty Four Season Two Finale. And thanks again, Nat for helping out uh, recap the season. For anyone who is trying to find you online, is there somewhere you can be reached? Absolutely. You can find me on good old Instagram. My handle is Natasha underscore Iris. Very nice. Very straightforward. <laughs> That's me. I try to be. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Not straight, though. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, she's also clear like me. Yay! Forgot to mention that little bit. Yay, representation! <laughs> <laughs> I do love that. Um, and then also, representing myself, you can find me under the username Token Gamer, and that's G-A-Y-M-E-R, and that's on also Instagram and Twitter. And then, you know, once again, email me if you got questions, you want to be on the show, any of that good stuff. Um, go to my website, dmrcreativegroup.com. And thank you. Thank you. This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.